Okay, we're continuing on with chapter 23, moving into kidney failure. So kidney failure, also referred to as renal failure, occurs when the kidneys do not adequately filter waste products and maintain homeostasis within the body. Kidney failure can be either acute or chronic. Acute kidney failure, again, it's acute. Oftentimes, it can be reversible. Dehydration, severe dehydration is often the cause of acute renal failure. Acute kidney in injuries occur over a period of days. And again, if it's acute renal failure, it may be reversible. Chronic kidney failure, though, is what we tend to really uh, deal with quite a bit more. Chronic renal failure occurs over years. Their kidneys are just gradually uh, not as efficient to the point where they are no longer able to maintain homeostasis to filter the waste-produced urine. And symptoms can progress from mild to severe. The two biggest risk factors that are going to lead to kidney failure in a patient is diabetes and hypertension. And I think I mentioned this before, if you go into any dialysis center right now and start talking to their patients, the vast majority of them, if not all of them, are going to be diabetics as well. Again, condition is not reversible. And with chronic kidney failure, since their kidneys aren't functioning, they have to use some type of technology to perform the function of those kidneys, and that is dialysis. Uh, these patients require dialysis, that or they need a full-blown kidney transplant for survival. So complications of kidney failure. Patients has a kidney failure. What else is that going to do to the body? What well, can cause pulmonary edema for the patients as well? These patients that have chronic kidney failure are fluid overloaded all the time. So that can produce those crackles, those rails, wet sounding lung sounds, that fluid backing up into the lungs. It can also cause cardiac tamponade, again, where the sac around the heart is filling up with fluid, pericarditis, which is inflammation of the pericardium or the heart, electrolytes, other metabolic problems as well. Again, they're not able to filter their waste. So all these waste products are starting to build up. So those waste products can interfere with the heart, cause things like cardiac dysrhythmias, irregular heartbeats, rhythms as well. It can cause congestive heart failure. If they didn't already have high, high blood pressure, it can cause them to have high blood pressure. And these patients are also more prone to infections as well. So some signs and symptoms of kidney failure, patients can have blood in the urine or stools. That building up of waste products can also cause them to have altered mental status as well. Edema or swelling to the feet, ankles, legs, again, they're fluid overloaded. Decreased or absolutely no urine output. These patients, again, are often hypertensive. It may be anorexic, loss of appetite, and tachycardic as well. So again, patients with 
chronic renal failure need dialysis in order to survive. And dialysis is an artificial process used to remove water, other waste products from the blood when the kidneys have failed to do so. And there are two types of dialysis that a patient may be on. The most common is going to be hemodialysis, but they can may also be able to be on peritoneal dialysis as well. So hemodialysis. In hemodialysis, blood is removed from the body, circulated through a machine that filters it before returning it to the body. So they go into a dialysis center. They are attached to a machine through a shunt, fistula, or graft, typically in the upper arms. That dialyzer removes their blood from their body, runs it through that machine. It filters all those waste products that the kidneys would normally filter off, removes them, and then it returns the blood back to the patient's body. Again, how they are attached to the machine is they have a shunt, fistula, port, or graft that the machine hooks up to. <clears throat> Again, it gets connected to a shunt formed by an artificial graft between the arteries and the veins. So in this case, we see it in the lower forearm, but it just it has that, the artery, there's the vein, so that artificial graft is just connecting those two. Now, when they attach them to the dialysis machine, they're going to hook it up to this graft. Typically, don't see them too frequently in the lower arms. Where we tend to see them is in the upper arms like this. And it's normally pretty obvious. You can see them and you can definitely feel them when we are assessing and treating our patients as well. And it is important that we recognize and know where those dialysis grafts or fistulas are because we cannot take blood pressures on that side of the body. We don't want to put any pressure on that arm or do anything to change the pressure to that fistula because it may rupture. If it ruptures, the patient's going to bleed pretty quickly. So EMT should not take a blood pressure of a dialysis patient on the side of the patient's access side. <clears throat> So if that fistula is in the left arm, that left arm is pretty much useless to us. Taking blood pressures, we have to do it on the right arm. Even at the advanced and paramedic level, we will not start IVs in the same arm where they have had, where they have a fistula. So again, hemodialysis, these patients have to go to a dialysis center and you go through those machines. Those dialysis centers, they typically have to go there three days a week or so, take several hours each visit. So, I mean, they're pretty much tied to their local dialysis center. In peritoneal dialysis, though, this can be done at home. That's a big advantage of peritoneal dialysis, but it's not nearly as efficient. So in peritoneal dialysis, fluid is placed in the abdomen by a tube, and they use the peritoneum functions as a dialysis membrane. So they pump fluid into the abdomen, they use the peritoneum to filter it, and, and then fluid is drained back from the abdomen. And again, the biggest advantage to peritoneal dialysis is it can be performed at home. So that's what it the, looks like. Again, they have this connect, this tube that sticks out at night. They will hook up their machine to the tube 
and then perform dialysis while they sleep. So complications from actually just going through dialysis. It's a very precise uh, treatment and there's some complications to it as well. Big one may be hemorrhage, especially if that fistula ruptures, it, it can bleed pretty heavily. I mean, it's directly tied to an artery. Bleed heavy enough can cause hypotension. If they take off too much fluid from the patient or remove the blood too quickly, it can cause a low blood pressure. Again, they're removing some of the electrolytes. If they remove too much, it can cause muscle cramps. For peritoneal dialysis, peritonitis is very common for those types of patients. Nausea and vomiting, infections at the access site, irregular pulse. It can even cause cardiac arrest. Again, especially if they're moving too much too quickly, they can, patients can go into cardiac arrest and difficulty breathing as well. Again, so with like hemodialysis, they have to go three days a week. So if they miss a date, a dialysis appointment, there can be complications that arise from a missed dialysis appointment. They can get weakness. Big concern is it's going to start causing pulmonary edema. Again, dialysis helps remove some of that excess fluid. They're fluid overloaded. If they miss dialysis, now they're definitely going to be fluid overloaded. So it can cause pulmonary edema, respiratory distress. So emergency management for a patient with dialysis, supportive measures, ABCs, supplemental O2 as needed. If the fistula is ruptured and bleeding, we need to stop and control bleeding. We want to use direct pressure. Most protocols are not going to permit us to use a a tourniquet over a dialysis fistula, but again, just look at your protocols to see if you can use a tourniquet if it's that bad. And position the patient and transport. Again, it's gonna be supportive measures. We, there's nothing we're doing for the dialysis itself, it's from the complications and the complaints that are gonna arise because they're on dialysis, like the trouble breathing because they're fluid overloaded and now they're presenting with pulmonary edema. Somebody remind me what other medical condition did we talk about that primarily presents with pulmonary edema? Anybody? Told you if you hear crackles, rails, what's the first medical condition we should think of? Congestive heart failure. Urinary catheters. So urinary catheters drain urine from the black. Most common type is going to be an indwelling catheter, also or more commonly referred to as a Foley cath. And they have a tube that is sticking in through their urethra, so that's a foreign body. These patients are very prone to getting urinary tract inf infections because of that. Not only that, if the device malfunctions, it can cause issues for them as well. So these indwelling catheters, again, they are inserted through the urethra all the way up into the bladder. At the end, to hold it, help hold it in place, there is a balloon that is filled up with saline. Again, that just holds it in place, keeps it from sliding out. You gotta be careful manipulating and moving patients with these catheters 
because we don't want to catch the, the tubing on something and then rip that out all the way down. It's going to cause some pretty massive trauma to that urethra. So if we're dealing, we run on a patient that has a Foley, it may be relevant to what's going on to the patient right now, or it may be just the patient has one and we have to deal with it while we treat what else is going on with them. But if there is urine in the bag, we need to check the urine. We need to note any unusual color. What color is it? Is there any bleeding, swelling? Do we notice any obvious foul odors to it? If possible, if there's urine and there's at least halfway full or so, we definitely need to drain the bag before we start transporting. We don't want it to overfill. Uh, if we do, if we're the ones draining the bag or we are somebody is draining it at our direction, like family or healthcare provider on scene, make sure that we are documenting the amount uh, that was drained and the time that it was drained as well. A lot of patients that have Foley's have to keep track of their urine output. So we're, we need to document it in case they need those, that information for later on. Again, big thing to worry about with Foley cats is we need to be careful manipulating or lifting, moving the patient uh, with that Foley. Make sure that we're not catching that tubing or the bag on anything that could possibly rip it out. So assessment-based approach for uh, genital urinary and renal emergencies, start their scene size up, then we move into our primary assessment. As soon as we lay eyes on the patient, we get our general impression. Start with our ABCs, maintain oxygen saturations at or above 94%. Patients a high priority if they exhibit any of the following. Again, these are pretty much universal. If they have just a very poor, they look extremely sick, general appearance, they're unresponsive, they're responsive but unable to follow commands, they're in severe pain, or if they're showing any indications of shock. Secondary assessment, while we're doing a physical exam, make sure that we are protecting privacy, their privacy, their modesty, be compassionate, professional, your history, do a physical if indicated. And again, it's the secondary assessment where we get our first full set of vital signs. Questions that we need to ask these patients. Again, common questions, signs and symptoms. Just all about them. When did they start? How did they start? What were you doing when they started? How fast did they come on? What was the patient doing at the time? Full sample, allergies, last oral intake current medications, previous uh, past history. For females, again, especially if they're having a uh, vaginal bleeding or some type of complaint that could possibly be gynecological, last menstrual period, genital pain or discharge. Is there any type of change in your urine? Are you using it more frequently, less frequently, the same? Is there any pain upon urination, uh, changes in color, smells, so forth? If it's a renal failure patient, ask him about receiving dialysis. How often do they go to dialysis? When was the last time they went to dialysis? 
any abdominal pelvic or flank pain, any nausea or vomiting. Again, changes to their urine, nausea, vomiting, fever, or chills, any syncopal episode, altered mental status. Any pain uh, during sexual intercourse, blank, groin, or back pain, frequent or urgent need to urinate. Again, any changes in the urine, including the presence of blood. Other signs and symptoms that we should be on the lookout for. Again, edema of the feet, ankles, or legs are going to indicate fluid overload. We tend to see that for congestive heart failure and oftentimes for dialysis patients. High blood pressure anorexia, tachycardia, any indications or signs and symptoms of shock. During our physical exam, if the patient's complaining of abdominal pain, make sure that we assess and palpate the abdomen. All four quadrants, we start with the quadrant furthest away from the pain. The last quadrant that we do palpate is where the patient's complaining of pain. Assess other systems such as the lungs, cardiovascular system. Again, dialysis patients, we definitely need to listen to lung sounds to make sure that we're assessing that cardiovascular system as well. Pulse, blood pressure, lung sounds, looking at the feet and ankles for swelling. Again, if there's a Foley, uh, observe the amount and appearance of the urine. And again, vital signs are done during that secondary assessment. Our care, if trauma is suspected or we can't rule it out, we suspect the possibility of a spinal injury, take spinal precautions, supportive measures, airway ventilation if need be, oxygenation at or above 94%, again, unless they're complaining of trouble breathing, which is a very common complaint for dialysis patients, or they're showing indications of shock that we don't care about O2 sets. If there is any major external bleeding, go ahead and take steps to control that and position the patient according to condition. Typically, it's going to be position of comfort. Very similarly to that of a congestive heart failure patient who does not like and pretty much will throw a fit, cannot lay flat on their backs because of that pulmonary edema, the same is going to be true for dialysis patients. They're not going to want to lay flat on their backs. It's going to feel like they're having a harder time breathing. So again, dialysis patient having pulmonary edema trouble breathing, they're going to want to be sitting as upright as possible. Calm, reassure the patient, and then transport. <clears throat> Reassessment, continuously monitor the patient for changes in mental status, airway, breathing, and circulation. Another thing to note about these Foley catheters, it is a gravity-based system, so we need to keep the bag lower than the insertion site. If we raise the bag higher, then urine's not going to be able to drain from the bladder, and any old urine that's in the tube still is probably going to rush back into the bladder, which is not going to be a good thing. So the bag needs to be either at or below the insertion site. Typically, we throw it in their laps on the stretcher till we get them in the back of the truck, and then we'll hang it on the side of the stretcher in the truck. I don't like rolling them around with the bag attached to the side of the stretcher because I'm too worried it's going to get caught on something. So if the stretcher is moving, it's in, the, in their lap right in between their legs. 
Lesson summary, gynecological conditions can present with abdominal pelvic pain, vaginal discharge, or bleeding. You need to be aware of special considerations in managing of the sexual assault patients and protect the patient's privacy and modesty at all times. Again, there are many potential uh, causes of abdominal pelvic pain. Some of them can be serious. Some of them can be relatively benign. And again, for us, it's not so important that we determine exactly what's going on. It's recognizing, hey, this is an acute abdomen, which is a complaint of acute abdominal pain. Supportive measures transport the patient to the hospital. In emergency care for abdominal pelvic or abdominal pelvic pain, anticipate vomiting, be prepared to manage the airway, make the patient can, comfortable as possible, be on the lookout for shock, supportive measures, transport the patient to the hospital. Remember, hematologic conditions are those conditions that are affecting the blood or blood components. We talked about hemophilia. Um, Sickle cell and anemia were the main ones we covered. Genital urinary disorders can present with abdominal pelvic pain. UTIs and kidney stones are common problems that we come across, especially with renal problems. And patients with chronic renal, renal failure need dialysis. And again, there's two types. It's either hemodialysis that are, is done at a dialysis center or peritoneal dialysis, which is done at home. And those dialysis, the condition itself, have serious complications that can arise from it as well. 